Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Audio Judo. We're glad you're joining us. Uh, got some old business to take care of before Ooh, yeah. we roll into uh, the new episode. Uh, we actually got mail. Somebody wrote us. Right? Somebody had some uh, suggestions. Uh, our episode from uh, two episodes now. Uh, ago was our soundtrack episode and uh we uh he had a, a couple of suggestions that we did not mention um apocalypse now oh that's a good one fantastic soundtrack and last temptation of christ which is a peter gabriel uh recorded soundtrack Ooh. which is excellent and i had forgotten all about that so thank you for those recommendations uh, do you want to give him a by name shout out oh yeah uh chris delisle uh, we appreciate the input. He also had a couple of corrections uh, that I uh, made some mistakes on. Um, I mentioned that the Black album was recorded after Purple Rain. Uh, oh, no. I said that it was uh, recorded before Purple Rain. It is actually recorded after Purple Rain, uh, right before Sign of the Times. Um, and also, uh, I had mentioned that Revolver uh, was recorded. Uh, yeah, Revolver was recorded super quick uh, by the Beatles. Uh, was actually Rubber Soul that was recorded in a month, and the Revolver Sessions dragged on for an exhausting two and a half months. So, Oof. right? So we appreciate those corrections. Hey, we want to get it right. We're not we're not uh, not going to make mistakes. We're probably going to make a lot of mistakes, and uh, the onus is then on you guys to uh, step up and send us some mail at yeah. info at audiojudo.com and tell us that we are way wrong, like Chris did. Yes. And we appreciate the feedback. Thank you so much, Chris, for being a bigger nerd than Matthew. Right. We uh, we really appreciate it. I appreciate it. So today. Oh, I have one thing oh, I please need to mention do. as okay. well. Go ahead. Uh, my personal apologies. Uh, I know that the uh, the notes uh, that have the links to all the, the songs that we talk about uh, in each one of the shows, uh, they end up being a mess on some services. And I'm uh, trying to figure out a better way to do that. And it uh, I haven't discovered anything yet so i apologize if you go to look for like a link and you're like it's got to be on spotify and there's just like a huge mess of uh blue links in all the the details for every one of these episodes i promise i am working on it uh i just haven't found a good way to do it yet we'll just call it a work in progress a work in progress i like that i think that's that's it that's that's all i had oh that's it okay yeah uh this week's episode uh we're going to talk about uh before and after we we chose 
three bands to discuss that had line, significant lineup changes um, and how they impacted the albums surrounding them. We picked these three off the top of our heads. We know there are most bands. I'd say most yeah. bands go through some type of personnel change through the years. Some are more impactful than others. Um, these are the three we picked. If you have uh, recommendations for future episodes, please drop us a line and say, you know, you should have talked about band X and we're like, and we can consider it and, and do some research and see if, you know, somewhere down the line, we can do that as well. But we chose uh, three bands, Van Halen. Oh, yes. Journey. Mm-hmm. And yes. Oh, yes. All uh, with significant lineup changes and um, especially yes <laughs> oh yeah uh, we are going to kick it off with van halen because that's probably the band mo- most people are familiar with the significant lineup change it is definitely the, the first one especially is very high profile that's yeah. a i mean everybody knows david lee roth and sammy hagar mm-hmm. i mean it's- even if you don't know van halen you probably know one of those two guys i would hope at this point, you would know something about. I mean, they've both done enough reality television at this point. That right. I'm sure there's somebody out there that only knows them from reality television, which is kind of ridiculous. But And some people might only know Sammy Hagar from uh, his tequila. Also true. But Van Halen, um, the band itself, had five albums, I believe, with David Lee Roth. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. correct. And before they released 1984, which 1984 was their high watermark. With David Lee Roth. Absolutely. Obviously. 10 million records, multitude of hits. And uh, one of the first things I did was compare 1984. So the last record with David Lee Roth and 5150. The first first record, record with Sammy Hagar. Right. To see how those two things compare. What I did is like I took, I took the hits out of the equation. Okay. Because Hot for Teacher, Panama, Jump, Jump and the stuff from 5150, uh, Dreams and uh, Love Comes Walking In. Love Walks In, I believe, is what it's really called. Love Walks In. They stand on their, on their own merits. They're hits. And to me, that's not what defined either record. What defined the record were the secondary tracks. Okay. And how what, what that band was becoming. Eddie Van Halen wanted to mature his sound. He was frustrated with the party band element that Van Halen had become through the years. A lot of that resting squarely on David Lee Roth's shoulders. I would agree with that. So you have these group of secondary songs, Top Jimmy, Drop Dead Legs, Girl Gone Bad, and House of Pain, which to me are much more listenable tracks than the hits are. Okay. That's uh, that's just unusual to me. The lesser known tracks are much more listenable to you. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Because those tracks don't sound like the party band to me. There was much more composition going on in House of Pain, Drop Dead Legs, which was to me where the evolution of Eddie Van Halen was coming. He'd been trying to stretch his legs. He kept getting slapped down by Ted Templeman, who was the producer, and David Lee Roth, who were trying to maintain this. We want to record it like a live band. We want it to just be... Well, I know David face. David Lee Ross thing was also he wanted to do a lot more covers, right? He, yeah. he wanted to keep because they had done several covers at that point. And he was like, let's not let's not yep. push the envelope. Let's not do new stuff. Let's keep doing covers because people like them. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's quick. It's easy. It's in and out of the studio. 
Yeah, and Eddie was a little bit, I think, resentful of the fact that he was only being recognized as a fireworks guitarist. Yeah. And that is not what he wanted to be. He wanted to be the consummate musician recognized for his composition and not just playing eruption over and over again. Well, that's that's why he uh, the album 5150 is named after the studio that he built. Yes. Uh, 5150, which is California penal code for like a psychotic person yeah, for mentally unstable, mentally unstable yeah. person, which is pretty cool. Yeah. But I know that the whole reason he built the studio was because he was fed up with having a uh, producers and having uh, other band members be able to take control because they were not in a space that he had control of. Correct. And he built the studio specifically so that he could, and 1984 was the first album they recorded in Mm -hmm. the studio. And so it was kind of a, a, like a bleed over of ideas that they had before that, at least in my opinion, they're kind of, uh, most of the ideas were not new they weren't created in that studio. They just happened to be recorded in that studio because that's where they were at the time. For 5150 or for, for 1984? Okay. And then 5150, I feel like most of that album is uh, new. It was specifically created mm-hmm. while he was working in the studio, while he was able to um, you know, be free to just do whatever he wanted in the studio well, and, he and, also, and actually work on, on new music. And he also had the benefit of having another musician in the yeah. band. That could write a guitar part and play a guitar part and brought that to the table. And there's certainly a maturity on 5150 that doesn't exist with David Lee Roth. There's a growth. There's also a stodginess to it because Hagar is, uh, he's not the party guy. Yeah. So that it's a little stiff. And where when he tries to become the party guy, it almost becomes comical. I do think I do think that it's interesting that the very first track on fifty one fifty, Summer Nights, Summer Nights, starts out with him going, "Hello, baby." Oh no, no, first song is good enough. Sorry, that's right. I'm sorry, but it still starts the same. Hello, baby. I mean, it's such a like David Lee Roth Roth thing to do, and it's like so. It makes me wonder, like, okay, are you trying to, are you doing it to say like, oh no, we're we haven't changed. It's the same Van Halen. Or are you doing it to try to be like, this is what we used to be, and now hear everything that comes after that? Or is it just like a trying to ease pa- everybody into it, sort of? Ease them in, pass the torch, yeah. snuff the torch. Like, is it is it like mockery? Are they like this is this is how stupid David Lee Roth used to, to me, be? <laughs> to me, that's what it always felt like. Like, like it's mockery. It felt like he was mocking David Lee Roth. And a lot could be said on both sides of that. I mean, 1984 sold 10 million records. Yeah. 5150 didn't. However, 5150 was their first number one record. Mm-hmm. But 1984 got Thriller blocked. Yeah. By, so, I mean, it probably would have at the, I would say most assuredly it would have been their first number one had it not been for Michael Jackson's Thriller. I would agree with that. But the, like 5150 to me, I appreciate, I get the maturity. I get, I get Eddie growing up wanting to sound more like an adult and less like the guy playing Whiskey A Go-Go in L.A. Yeah. He wanted to become broader. So 1984's has this, not the beginning, but more thick keyboards. And then 5150, he takes it the next level, almost writing exclusively his melodies on keyboards, which to me, I don't, there's something a little sterile about how that was recorded. 
to me that the drums, they're electronic. How f- he, he, I'm sorry, how 5150 was recorded yeah, or? Yeah, they, the drums were electronic. Like they, he, they were all pads. Oh. And, and you can hear the, doo, doo, doo. it's a very percussive pad, like electronic sound to it. His bass drums, same way. Everything very, very electronic. And it bugs me because he's such a good player. He was relying on technology more than technique yeah. at that point. And that there's Michael Anthony is pretty much gone on fifty one fifty eight. Bass is so buried in the mix. Yeah. It's so buried. And it, it's unfortunate because I think that record could have been a lot better. They didn't want Eddie to produce it. Uh, Warner Brothers didn't trust Eddie to be in control of the mm-hmm. whole thing. So Ted Templeman, who was their original producer, was out and they hired Don Landy to produce it. And then they brought in Mick Jones, who's the guitarist from Foreigner, yeah, to help produce and kind of keep them on task, so to speak. And I think his vision, I think like Foreigner, I think that sterile sound yeah, permeated that record. I mean, there's, some of it is fantastic. Like his guitar sound is, is great. Uh, Best of Both Worlds and the the title track, 5150, are some of the greatest sounding guitar he ever had, solos aside. Mm -hmm. But just his tone was much better than it had been. used to be just whiny playing that (laughs) Kramer all the time. It was much better. Like, it's hard to say, like, which album, which album is better? I got to be honest with you, my opinion, what the notes that I wrote down here are literally like, I can't decide between these two albums. Because they're both, they're different. They both sound mm-hmm. very different, but they're both very good albums. They're both very well put together. They're just different times in the same band's life lifespan. Right, and I think with different goals. Yeah. Their dynamic changed so much with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. Well, I know in, in a couple of different interviews, Sammy Hagar has said basically the same quote, and, and just to summarize it without actually quoting him, the quote was something along the lines of like, uh, Eddie wanted all the creative control, but he wanted someone else to lead the band. And that's what David Lee Roth had been doing. But when he decided to start going and doing a solo career and he wanted to go do a movie and he wanted to do covers, Eddie didn't like where that was going. So they let David Lee Roth leave the band. And then when they brought in Sammy Hagar, he was like, okay, I'm the new guy. I don't need to lead. I want, you know, Eddie's obviously in charge and Eddie didn't really know how to be in charge. Which is why they he wouldn't kind of leave kept, him alone. He kept kind of shoving Sammy Hagar into the front and being like, you're the leader, you're the band guy, you're the leader, you're the, the front man. And then Sammy Hagar would be like, okay, well, let's do, you know, like uh, there's a famous part of the quote that's like, he would say, I want the new album cover to be black. And then Eddie would be like, no, it's got to be white. And then Sammy Hagar would say, all right, well, let's do it white. And then Eddie would say, no, 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 black. Let's go with a black album cover. You know, and like he he's done variations of that same quote over and over and over again. I've seen. So you get to the root of Van Halen's issue, longevity wise. Why have they changed lead singer so many times? Three times. But really, David Lee Roth, Sammy Hagar, Gary Sharon, David, David Lee, Lee Roth, Roth Sammy, Sammy Hagar, Hagar David, David Lee Roth. Roth. Why does that keep true. happening? Because. Eddie doesn't want to be the front man, but he wants to be in control. Yes. So it's got to be strangling for the the front man who's being told, lead the band, but just do as I say. How do you deal with that? If you're a front man, you're a type A personality anyway. Yes. You, You want the attention. You want the limelight. 
I want to stand at the stage, the front of the stage with the microphone and, and you know, F all you guys. Yeah. I want all the chicks looking at me. I want all everything right here. And how, how do you deal with that if you're being told, uh, yeah, just I know, do this I know, instead? I know you want to stand up in front. I know you want to be the lead, but uh, go ahead and do that. But could you stand two feet to the right? Right. Could you stand, Could you back up just a little bit? Could you do this? Could you do that? Could you change this? Could you wear a wig? Could you do this? Like When I saw them in 1988, it was the Monsters of Rock tour Ooh. in 88. Great tour because it was Kingdom Come, uh, Dokken, Scorpions, Metallica, Van Halen. Ooh. That's a nice day. Like all these, the four bands previous played half hour, 45 minutes. Hour fifteen, hour and a half, mm-hmm. and they played all all these songs. Right, Van Halen gets up there last, and they played for an hour and twenty minutes, and they probably played eight songs wrapped around everyone having these really extended solo breaks. Hmm. So they had you know Michael Anthony playing a lousy bass solo, <laughs> Alex Van Halen <laughs> playing a a weird. He'd been high for. 13 years and he was finally sober and he, I don't think he understood oh, what he yeah. was doing anymore. Played that for a while. And then Sammy Hagar plays, uh, can't remember the song. It wasn't I Can't Drive 55. It was Eagles Wings or uh, I can't remember. On the, name. the Wings of Eagles? I think that's it. Yes. And plays that by himself. And then Eddie comes out and plays 15 minutes of solo noodling whatever. And watching it even at 16 i'm like this is not a band at all yeah these are disparate parts touring as van halen but it's just the indulgent kind of playing with themselves type thing like it's just <laughs> just watching it i'm like it was this uh, is a van masturbation basically yeah. is what yeah. i'm trying to I'm say like, i don't get it but then if you kind of look into the psychology of how eddie controls everything yeah how he's reticent to release any new music. Because even in the, the record that came out in 2011, Different Kind of Truth with David Lee Roth, all those songs were written around the time of Van Halen 1 and 2. Yeah. They just re-recorded them. So he's so he's afraid to like to, to put that out there, but he still wants like just maniacal control of what's going on. I've always kind of wondered if he's not one of those people who... Um... I forget what it's called in the world of uh, obsessive compulsive people. I mean, yeah, you know, obsessive compulsive people to begin with. But there's a certain condition uh, with people who are obsessive compulsive where they have to do the same thing over and over and over again to try to make it perfect. Mm. And I've always kind of wondered if he's not somewhere within that where he just keeps saying to himself, "Okay, you know, I've made all these songs. But now I want to go back and I want to I want to play this again and see if I can get it a little bit better. Right. And I want to go back and play it again and see if I can get it a little bit better. And if he's not the type of person who's taking his own music and just just beating it over the head because he's like, I need to play this song absolutely perfectly and I can't rest until it's that way. Right. And that's why he's not making anything new. That's why he doesn't want to push boundaries anymore because he's like, I have to get what I've already made perfect before I move on. Right. And he's not a good editor either. <laughs> he, he, he will tweak it. Just he'll never get to the point where he walks away. Yeah. Where, where you say, listen, I could edit this for the rest of my life, but it's not going to make it any better. In fact, it's probably going to make it worse. Has he ever done any music for a George Lucas movie? Cause that could be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> as far as i know they only did like uh, one soundtrack twister twister right? yeah the soundtrack to that movie sounded like it was probably a disaster to record and, which, and that was right around the time that would have been 96 
So soon on the heels of that wonderful experience was when Sammy Hagar left. Do they go back into the studio and record one gem of a record called Van Halen 3 with Gary Sharon? Oh, God. And I'm being sarcastic as hell because you- <laughs> it is garbage. So hey, do yourself a favor out there, people, and don't listen to that record. Yeah, you can skip Van Halen 3. It's- I, so... I got to tell you this little story about uh, how I first heard Van Halen. A cousin of mine who I did not have a very close relationship with uh, came to stay with my parents for a couple of days with his brother and sister. And uh, Van Halen Best of Volume 1 had just come out. So that would have been like, what, 97 maybe? 96? I forget Uh the exact year. But uh, he had that. And like he he was listening to it and he's like, do you want to listen to this? And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, he put the headphones on me and I was just like, oh, this is so cool. So I went and bought Van Halen Best of Volume 1. Okay. I had no idea that there were two different lead singers on that album. Like, because, you know, I mean, I was I was like 12 years old and the Internet didn't exist. So I was like, these guys are so great, you know. And then as I got older, I'm like, yeah, Van Halen, they're great. And people are like, oh, you know, Eddie Van Halen. I'm like, oh, it's named after a guy. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. Alex Van Halen. Well, is oh, his name Eddie or is it Alex? There's no, two of them. There's two of them. They're brothers. What? Oh, okay. Cool. You know, and then well, do you like Sammy Hagar or David Lee Roth? And I'd be like, yeah, <laughs> they're great. And then it's like all Good this answer. starts coming out and it's like, oh my God, these are two different. I had, I could not tell them apart on that album. Oh. And <laughs> like, I had never registered with me that these were two different people singing. Like, so it all blended together to me. And I was just like, yeah, they're great. I love them. You just thought he went through the change or something. <laughs> like, why well, does he sound so like, different? Maybe he smokes a lot. Yeah, you know, I mean, maybe drugs did a number on his vocal cords. Who knows? But so not until. Hello, baby. <laughs> Hello, baby. <laughs> I can't drive 55. <laughs> but until, you know, maybe 2000 ish was when I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'm starting to see this information and see this whole picture now. That they're they're very different eras in this band. I don't think you're alone. I think there's plenty of listeners out there that probably had a yeah. similar experience. Like we're, it, it's good that we have a different yeah. sort of viewpoint about it. Where I was going with this though was uh, even in that state, I knew just from going to like the record store and being like, people would be like, "Oh, what do you like to listen? To? Oh, Van Halen." Like, oh, okay, cool. Don't buy Van Halen 3. <laughs> I right? even knew. I couldn't tell the two original singers apart. Don't buy Van Halen 3. They got a new singer and it's horrible. This should have just been a sign at the record store. It should have been. Just don't. Don't. Just, just don't, don't bother. Van Halen 3. Just don't. Save yourself <laughs> 65 minutes. 65 minutes? Oh, God. It's like 1984 is 37 minutes long. You, made you know what the Van difference Halen 3, is there, right? The CD. Exactly. Yeah. I was about to say, it went from being... We have to fit this on vinyl to we have to fit this on CD. To we can fill a CD. Yeah. yeah we have to fit this on vinyl. We can fill a CD. So yeah. they're like, oh, I can write up to 79 minutes worth of music before it has to be a damn. double CD. Gary, vamp. <laughs> what? Oh, no. This is going to go poorly. It's oh, it's just so Which bad. It's unfortunate, too, because like like I said, getting ready for this episode is the first time I've listened to Van Halen 3. You're welcome. Uh, thank you for that, <laughs> suggesting that. <laughs> and I started listening to it, and I was like, did I get the wrong album? Is this some like cover band, or is this some weird? No, it nope. really is just not good. 
And it's unfortunate too, because I mean, Gary Sharon, like I started, you know, looking at his history when he was with extreme, they had a lot of hits mm-hmm. and I don't know. It's like you said, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the guitar player for extremes name. Nuno, Nuno Betancourt. Nuno Betancourt. Uh, such a common name. Yep. I should have had that right it's on the right tip, on the of, my tip tongue. of your tongue. I know. But, uh, oh, Nuno. <laughs> Nuno. <laughs> Nuno. Uh, anyways, you know, I know you were saying that they were successful because of him, mm-hmm. but I mean, obviously, Gary Sharon had something to do with it. He was singing. Oh, with he's got a good years. voice. Yeah. yeah. It's just he had no material here like, with Van Halen 3. It was just like mm-hmm. uh, honesty time. I had the stupid record like Van Halen 3 came out and I'm like, well, I must have it. I will buy it because I'm a Van Halen fan. I'm going to buy it. And I played it one time <laughs> in my CD player. I'm like, holy crap, that's bad. I mean, there's. I don't even remember the name of the stupid song, but there's a song on there that Eddie plays piano and sings lead on, Ooh. and it's atrocious. And I'm like, oh, and it's sad. It made it made me sad to hear it <laughs> because it's like, oh, well, this kind of cinches it. Then we're just gonna see them playing state fairs in like ten yeah. years because that's just just such an awful record. And when I sold after I converted everything to digital. I sold most of my CDs. I kept the ones that I think will be collectible or ones that had special meaning to me. And then I sold the rest of them in yeah. garage sale, like a bucket piece. I'm like, get rid of them. I'm like, I couldn't get rid of that thing. <laughs> like, I just want to th- throw it around the garage like a Frisbee because is no it, one's going to buy still this. Is it haunting you somewhere? Is it like in a drawer somewhere? It's probably somewhere? under that refrigerator or something. <laughs> It'll show up when we move. We're like, oh, here it is. It'll I make it, it. When you retire to Jamaica, it'll make its way there with you. You'll just be going through some box. Like, where do we pack the the cookbooks? And you're like, oh God, no! Try to throw it into the ocean, and it'll wash up. Come back a month year. later. Can't get rid of it. It's like a bad penny. <laughs> so, so avoid Van Halen three. There's no exactly. reason to listen to it. Just remember the good times. So that's Van Halen. That's their change for you. Um, if you have input on that. Please share it with us. Oh, please do. Everybody has some Van Halen uh, input, and I don't mean to knock the hits. Like I, I, the reason I don't need to go to them is because you know, Jump, Panama, Hot for Teacher, those songs are so good in their and own so right. Iconic, right? You don't need to even discuss them because they're they're huge and they're well written. And so I gravitate more towards the songs that probably get lesser uh, coverage that people don't listen to, especially in a digital age. People are probably skipping right over those, just playing Jump, Panama, Jump, Panama, yeah, over and over again. So, uh, would you like to move on to Journey? Journey. Yep. You picked what might be the most well-known rock album of of all time. Correct. Escape. Escape. Like, I don't even know. Don't Stop Believing has made, like, at least two comebacks in Mm -hmm. my lifetime. It was a hit in the 80s when it came out. Mm -hmm. It was a hit... Uh, right around 2000. Because of The Sopranos? Because of, well, uh, that was a little bit later. Oh. It was a hit around, well, so three comebacks. It was a hit right around 2000 uh, for whatever reason. Uh, it was a hit because of The Sopranos mm-hmm. when that ended with that, you know, horrible, don't stop. And there's just a black screen and everybody got all butt sore about it. Worst ending ever. It made me laugh because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't watch the show. So I just, 
I don't care. At the time, I had a manager who was so into it. He'd have viewing parties every week and stuff, and he threw this huge party for the for the finale. And was I, his life ruined? It was ruined. He was depressed for several weeks afterwards and got heavily into drinking. <laughs> and then, and then a few years later, uh, Glee uh, brought it back again. Glee, Glee. I don't know why I said that with a British accent. Glee, Glee, the TV show brought it back again, which uh, was a nightmare for me at the time because I worked a lot of uh, I worked tech for a lot of talent shows, and uh, every single person that was coming in was like, "Hi, my name's Sarah, and uh, today I'm going to play the piano for you." And this is "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. And everyone's like, "Okay, that's really great." And then the next person, "Hi, my name's Thomas, and I'm going to play the violin for you." This is "Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. Did someone play it on the theremin? No, that would be amazing. I guarantee there's a cover out there somewhere, but theremin cover. The theremin cover of Don't Stop Believing will be in the notes, the show notes, Sweet. if I can find it. But so let's uh, give a, a, a little little background on Journey. Okay. Right? So Steve Perry, not the original lead singer. Greg Raleigh was the original lead singer. And when Steve Perry joined, Greg Raleigh became the keyboardist mm-hmm. for the next several albums. They've had a, a rotating cast uh, of characters. Uh, you have uh, Ross Valerie on bass. Jonathan Kane on keyboards for this record for Escape. Uh, Neil Sean, who's been with the band since the very beginning, he's the only member to be with the band the whole time. Oh, really? Neil Sean. And uh, Steve Smith, by the way, absolutely legendary drummer. Uh, that was the main core for like the big records for Frontier and Escape, that uh, two or three album uh, block in the early 80s that was Journey's kind of big coming out party, right? So uh, Steve Smith eventually would leave to go play uh, Jazz Fusion, wow. a band uh, called Vital Information. Uh, bass player was replaced briefly by Randy Jackson, yeah. dog. You kids may know him from American Idol. That's correct. And uh, Dean Castronovo replaced Steve Smith on drums and stayed with uh, through the 2000s, and then Steve Smith replaced uh, returned back to the band in 2016. So... Steve Perry is the the one everybody knows, right? He's there for the largest record, uh, Don't Stop Believing, sold 12 million copies. And that record alone is their, the height of their collective power. Don't Stop Believing, Who's Crying Now, Open Arms, and my personal favorite, Stone in Love, which I still oh, think is a great song. great song. Certified nine times platinum by the RIA. Isn't that crazy? Nine times. Nine platinum. times. Nine times. Uh, at one point, this record was named the number one album-oriented rock album of all time. I would fully believe that. Atari even made a video game for the 2600 console called Journey Escape. <laughs> like how how big is this? You're having a you're having a video game. You're cross promoting into a video right? game. And just so you know, everybody that bought that record was on the right track. And so are we. Rolling Stone hated yeah. this record. <laughs> hated it. That's and, funny. I wrote that same note. <laughs> and I quote, they could be any fluff brain sessioneers with a singer that sounds like a eunuch. <laughs> Come on. And right away... <laughs> That should tell you we are on the right track. Right. Rolling Stone hates it. It must be It great. must be good. 
Rolling Stone hates it. I should have looked up what they said about Van Halen 3. They you, probably loved it. They didn't want it. No, they didn't. Oh, oh, okay, good. No, yeah. It's not as funny that way. <laughs> but this, I mean, this record was arena rock. Yes. You take your Ario Speedwagon, you take your sticks, you can take all those bands. Boston. This was the yeah. this was the height, the the apex of arena rock. And everybody loved it and still does. Don't stop believing is your oh. your number one karaoke song, probably. Oh, by far, I'm sure. Right? Open arms, still probably the greatest makeout song in the history of music ever written. And it was fantastic. And they had a couple more records with Steve Perry, and then Steve Perry wanted to do his own thing. Well, Steve Perry fired a couple members of the band. He was. He decided Journey is mine. He's a bit of a. He was a bit of a diva, right? And that's kind of where you're at with the front man. You can control. Yeah. That the way the band proceeds, like you started thinking about how good that record is. You know, like I listened to it the other night again, and there's I think eight songs on it. Uh, there's eight, maybe nine. Is there eight? Let me see here. I have them all written down. You have the track list. I do. Uh, Don't stop believing. Yeah. Uh, Stone in Love. Stone in Love. Yeah. Who's crying now? Yeah. Keep on running. Oh, that, yeah. Uh, Still they ride. Escape. Lay it down. Dead or alive. Mother, father, and open arms. Okay. So there's still there's a, a dead spot there that probably you know seventy five percent of the people that listen to Journey nowadays have no idea what like three or four of those tracks. Yeah. Even are. You know, on the the vinyl, those are all B side tracks. So, because I think the B-side is Escape, Lay It Down, Dead or Alive, Mother, Father, and Open Arms. Open Arms, everybody knows. So every, open Arms, everybody knows. Right. But what's crazy to me is that was the closer for this album. And it's after a bunch of songs that nobody remembers. So it, it must have gotten a lot of radio play. And it's an odd closer. Yeah. Like, it's slow. and ugh. it's. I mean, it's a great song, but I don't know why you close a record. Yeah, it's just weird on the album. But please continue. So I was thinking about why so many people attach uh, are attached to this record. And to me, this is one of those absolute memory albums that every big hit is probably attributed to a very specific memory in your life, especially yeah. if you grew up around that time listening to it. So I would have been nine when it came out, but I had an older brother and sister who were 16 and 17 when this album was released. So I know the very specific memory oriented thing and you know one of the things the reviewer says is you know it's the lyrics are the lyrics are shitty and juvenile and blah 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 and i'm like don't you want like it, it has a like a youthful romance yeah feel to it in my notes i wrote you don't always want or need to be challenged by a record or a song like sometimes reminiscence and memory is what you want and these are the songs you want to belt out in your car while you're driving, singing along to, because they remind you of a very specific place in time. And wh whether or not they're the best songs ever written is irrelevant. And that's why I think you get the retrospective review, because Rolling Stone then says in like 2001, well, this is the greatest record of all yeah. time. And it's like, yes, because you have hindsight now. Yeah. But at the time, they were well-written pop slash rock songs legendary songs and what sold it was steve perry's voice yeah a motive is an understatement like he has like besides robert plant he has that the most recognizable lead singer voice of all time i will fully agree with that like listening to it 
the other day, I don't find myself listening to Journey on a regular basis. I just don't anymore. I, I mean, if I hear it, it's usually because I'm listening to Sirius XM. Yeah. And they'll, they'll play Stone and Love or something on Classic Rewind. So, I'll, you know, I'll hear it. But listening to that whole record, it's like honey through your speakers. Mm. It's so pretty. And you're like, you get captivated. You're like, oh my gosh, it's just there's a richness. And it's like, and I can do without like the keyboard. Some of the piano shit is so like hokey and, and clearly era defining yeah. 1981. You can go just throw a dart at it and go, yeah. that's 1981. But his voice <laughs> takes you someplace completely different. And I absolutely love that record. So you have things to say. Oh, I was going to say it's, it's a, a phenomenal record. It's a, uh, like I said, I th- really think that it is probably one of the most iconic rock records for sure of that, for sure of the eighties, probably of all of uh, like the whole 1970 to 1990, that rock era where rock kind of grew up and then kind of faded away into other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it definitely like, uh, I, mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't know Don't Stop Believing. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, I know people that are really like into only hip hop that know Don't Stop Believing. I know people that don't like rock and roll that know Don't Stop Believing. It is just such an iconic. The hip hop people have probably sampled it at oh, one I'm sure point or have. another. It's good music. Yeah. It's very pleasing to listen to. It is. And it's it, like you said, how do you replace Steve Perry? Because it's like you were just talking about, you know, he has such an iconic voice. And it's like, how do you go about replacing him? So they, I didn't know, I didn't know Journey actually disbanded in 1987. They were just like, we're done for, for what, 20 years, almost 18 Mm. years, something like that. No, record wise, they didn't make a new record for 20 years, but they were touring in the nineties. Okay. With, uh, they had, uh, another lead singer, Steve Augury. Yeah. And then who was with uh, the band until like 2006 or less than just a little bit less than that. He shredded his vocal cords. Yeah. yeah he had like, some kind of a problem. Yeah. Right? Just, and then, uh, uh, Greg Soto joined the band briefly and then they canned him like almost immediately mm-hmm. for, you know, yeah, I mean, it was less than a year. Right? Yeah. And then they're still searching. So Neil Sean, you know, that whole 87, the whole 87 to like, I think it was 87 to like 93, Somewhere in that vein. And hopefully if you're out there, somebody correct me because I probably have the years wrong, but it's like 87 and 93. It's Neil Sean and uh, Ross Valerie or Jonathan Kane uh, joined a band called Bad English with John Waite that in the hair metal mm. uh, vein. So they had a couple of big hits in like the late 80s, early 90s when hair metal was like doing its swan song right before grunge hit. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So that's what they were doing around that time. But they decided... You know, after a couple of good hits and that died, you go back to the flagship. You go back to what got you here, even though Neil Sean could have played with anyone. Neil Sean was actually in Santana when he was like 15. He's like just a guitar prodigy. He's been around forever. Hmm. Um, Like that group of of guys had to reform and go, okay, are we still going to be Journey or we're not going to be Journey? So they tried with the other guys and, you know, you get to 2007 and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. And lo and behold, here comes Arnold, Arnold Pineda, Pineda. Right? So he was playing in a Filipino cover band called The Zoo. And thanks to the internet and YouTube. <laughs> they found him. Right? It, they found him. They found him playing Journey songs and blown away by the, the similarities between him and Steve Perry. And 
had a basically auditioned him like a really intense audition and joined the band in 2007 and started touring in 2008. So they, they got together and they uh, recorded a record called revelation, uh, which released in uh, 2008. Uh, That record went platinum. Yeah. And so you start to wonder like arena rock, that kind of heat and serve Mm -hmm. rock and roll music, 2008. It's pretty much dead. Yet you have a million selling records still from a band that at that moment is 34 years old. Yeah. Somewhere around there. What would have happened if that album had been released in 1981? If the Panetta record. Yeah. It replaces Escape. Ooh. Because listening to that record, it's really good. Oh, it's fantastic. It is really good. And, you know, it's not going to get it's not going to get the play like it would normally it would like it would have gotten 81. Yeah. And, and then the other question is, is it too much on par? Because he sounds so much like Steve Perry. Yeah. Was this intentional for it to be Journey being kind of a cover band of itself? Well, what I think is the craziest part about this album is that it was a, a two disc album. So the first disc, all new songs. I think they're all new. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Second disc is Arnold Panetta singing old journey songs yeah, on the tour. And, yeah. And they are most of them recorded here in Vegas. Yeah. And they're fantastic. They sound great. They're different. Yeah. The arrangements they are a little different. So good. But he's <laughs> but he's scary close. Yes. And I think he's great with his original stuff, but mm-hmm. it's almost disconcertingly close to Steve Perry. Part of me almost wishes that they had disbanded journey mm-hmm. and called themselves something else and toured as something else. Obviously, like you think, obviously like, uh, you're selling tickets based on name recognition and people want to hear open arms and don't yeah. stop believing in all those songs that that's what they want to hear. But as musicians, they're like, I want my new material to be appreciated as much as my old material. Yeah. Or else why am I making it? So I wonder if there's like, do, do you feel like there's a shadow sort of hanging over them? Oh, absolutely. Because they're, they're, they're making good music, Yeah, but it's always, it's new journey. It's not, we're a new band that's making good music. It's new journey. Yes. I think that's exactly what it is. And we'll cover that with the next band because the next band had so many permutations. It's easy to just say, oh, that's just another version of yes. That's another version of yes. Yeah. But they're all Yes. This doesn't feel like a new version of Journey. It still feels like they're trying to be Journey, but trying to get away with, but we can still kind of use the karaoke thing. Like we could still use it as a cover band. Yeah. And then here's our new stuff because he sounds so much like the old stuff. I think he's a, I think he's a fantastic singer. He's so good. He is. And it's a great album. Right. Like, I, I had not, again, this is another one that never heard it until we started doing this. And I was like, Oh yeah, I remember that from quite a few years ago when they replaced the singer and everybody was like, "Oh yeah, he's this uh, Arnold Pineda, is this Filipino guy, and he came in and took over for Steve Perry." And it was like, "Oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. I wonder why I never listened to that." And now I'm sad that I didn't because it's it's great. It's good. It and that one, by <coughs> Revelation, they released another album, uh, 2011, I believe. That's not nearly as good. Hmm. And Neil Sean kind of took over and wanted to make it uh, more straight ahead or less straight ahead and more adventurous. So it's almost drifting into prog land. Ah. Uh, the compositions are, are longer. 
know, the lyrics are a little vaguer and not, you know, people get used to Journey talking about making out with the chick or streetlight people or, you know, kind of simple. Yeah. And they, he wanted to push it in a new direction and it, and it just like, just crashed, just did not do well at all because people want to hear the formula. Yeah. And it's difficult when, when you're that established as that, like there are other bands that like a, like a yes, like Rush, like Genesis, like Floyd, that there was no common line. It was always, we're doing something different every single time. So yeah. the fan base grows to expect something different. And actually, if you do what you did before, it's almost disappointing. Exactly. People get pissed off. Right. But if like, you, wait, you already did this on the two albums ago. Right. But if you go see Def Leppard or Speedwagon or whatever or Journey, you're expect you want to see something similar yeah. to what you've been listening to. It's just the just the beast. Well, imagine going to see Journey and they don't play Don't Stop Believing. It'd be a riot. Right? People would be pissed. They'd be like, is it the encore song? I'm like, no, we're not playing it tonight. Good night, everybody. And it's like, I want my 18 bucks back. The place would get burnt down. <laughs> I, want my I, want, I want my state fair money back. No, they're not playing the state fair. They're still big. <laughs> I, I joke. But like, have, it, have you ever a, seen him in concert? Journey? Yeah. 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 With Steve Perry. Oh, that's lucky. And it was, you know, it was cool. You can't conceptualize it. What I saw then to what, I know is possible now, like, cause then the lights were cool, but it was just like a yeah. bunch of banks of lights, you know? Yeah. Flash, flash, right. flash, big flash, deal. Flash, but it was flash, like a, it flash, was a flash. cool, loud rock show that they played all the songs that I wanted to hear. Yeah. Right. And it was an entertaining thing. And there, the solos were fantastic. And Steve Perry was sounded like Steve Perry's, he sounds like the record. He didn't sound processed or anything. It was just like, holy moly. Yeah. Right? So you that voice in a in a arena that holds twenty thousand people. It's like just so like cool. Oof. Yeah. It's uh it's good. And I'd like to see him with with Arnold. Yeah. I think it'd be interesting. I know they're here all the time. I think it'd be interesting to see how that translates. Like does it because I've seen I, I watched the DVD with him performing and it's Oh yeah. It's something because you can close your eyes and listen to him and go, there's very little (laughs) discernible difference here. And you open your eyes and he's, you know, strutting around like a five foot five little guy, just like bouncing around. You're like, wow, (laughs) he's got a lot of energy. I was trying to remember. I know that I saw Journey in concert, but it was with one of it was either uh, Steve Aguirre or Jeff Scott Soto. I forget who, because it was it would have been around that time, like 2006. 2007 it was definitely before 2008 they were i mean you know okay live when Mm -hmm. i saw them but it it didn't sound it wasn't like that arena sound it wasn't like that iconic it's like okay this sounds different what what has changed did you see them in a theater i saw them in an outdoor amphitheater okay and i think that has a lot to do with it yeah the sound like this be off topic or not really off topic but speedwagon sticks like in an arena. Oh yeah. It's a totally different band. It's a totally different sound. Like that cavernous sound the lends, reverb. lends itself to all these kind of open spaces in the songs. And uh, Heather and I went down to Phoenix in February and saw Bob Seeger at the arena, talking stick arena down there. Mm-hmm. And it was, this guy's 72 years old, but the sound fills that space so well. That's what I want to hear. It's, it's big loud 
Yeah. Like, and it takes over and kind of sweeps you away with it. And that's, that's the way journey was when I saw him all those years ago. That's cool. Yeah. That is one thing that does kind of always suck. Cause I always feel like I missed, cause I love a lot of like rock and I feel like I missed that era by about 10 years. Yeah. Like had I been 10 years older, I would have been like, oh yeah, I got to go see these guys in concert. I got to go see this in concert. I got to go see, you know, Journey and Van Halen and, you know, in concert. Whereas the age that I was at, you had fantastic recordings of all of them, but, you know. But those bands, like, like when grunge hit, even that punk kind of stuff in the mid nineties, they weren't writing songs for a 20,000 seat arena. These bands were writing specifically knowing they were going to play them in an arena of that size. And they wrote songs that would lend themselves to that experience. And they didn't do that in the 90s. They expected to be, I would imagine, in theaters and small, small venues and stuff. So it doesn't, when they would take like Nirvana or another band and put them in an arena, that, that did not translate the same way. Yeah. Because it's so raucous. It's so already really full without spaces in the music to allow it to breathe. Yeah. So it didn't sound the same. It sounded like very chaotic instead of sweet and just, you know, beautiful. <laughs> you have any more notes on Journey? No, that's it on that's Journey. That's it. That's all you got on Journey. P- please go listen to both those albums if you never have. Uh, Escape, fantastic album. I said fantastic again, so I'm going to try that again. Escape, super great album. <laughs> And Revelation also super great. Super great. Just uh, just super 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 great. Different era, different times. That was another one. I, I same note. I was like, how do I pick between these two? They're a different sound, but they're both very good. I don't think I could pick against Escape. It is definitely you know iconic. But like if I could just, I just pick on Stone and Love by itself because that song is so good. Mm-hmm. Like I just, oh, it's done. <laughs> Meh, Not saying done. Revelation isn't a great record because it is. Yeah, but, but picking between the two. Right. So that's Journey, everybody. So tell us how much you hate Journey. <laughs> so right. Uh, t- hate mail. Right. To, tell us uh, how info much. Info at the talk. Or I'm sorry. No. <laughs> send your hate mail to info <laughs> at audiojudo.com. Or you can send it to the talk around show. You can, show it, you can send it to info at the talk around show.com as well. Or former podcast, maybe future podcast. Right? Who knows? You, just, you just tell us that. That journey sucks, or I suck, yeah, or I don't know what I'm talking about. And Kevin, uh, Kevin Collin from uh, Ario Speedwagon is much better singer than <laughs> Steve Perry, and I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's what you should do. You should tell me that. So yes, Kevin, Kevin Curran, 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 damn, Curran. Yes, yes, yes. The band. Yes, yes, the band. Yes, not yes, the affirmative. The well, it is also the affirmative, but yes, the band is what we're going to talk about now. Yes, we Who, are. Is there a, a, a is there an award for the most turnover in members of a band? Because yes, might win it. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a it's a rotating cast of characters over the course <laughs> of the past fifty one years. So also, I did notice we're going to talk about three yes albums. 51 yes. years. 51 yes. years. Yes, the Yes album. Yes, we're talking about three records. The Yes album. Drama. Drama. 90125. 90125. And that I will notice that uh, last week when we kind of did a lead into this, I did say uh, I mentioned Rick Wakeman and that I was going to do the whole episode with one hand in the air. 
Yeah. Rick Wakeman when he's playing the, the keyboards. And then you pick three albums that Wick, Rick Wakeman was not on. That may or may not have been intentional. Eh, I kind of thought so. <laughs> you didn't want to see me standing up for this whole thing like, yeah, I got one hand in the air. Well, you didn't. It's already tired. You didn't right. wear your cape. I did not wear my cape or so, my crown. So. Well, I, then we can't do it. It's okay. If you had okay, worn though. a cape, I would have just switched it all up. Oh, good. We were gone. We were just dealt with tales of topographic oceans for I, another three I suppose hours that's okay. Day. So, yeah, rotating cast of characters over 51 years. So, guitarists, four. Steve Howe, Trevor Rabin, Peter Banks, Billy Sherwood. Bass, only two. Oh, thank God. Chris Squire, passed away in 2015. Sad. And Billy Sherwood. Vocals, John Anderson, Trevor Rabin, Trevor Horn, John Davidson. Drums, Bill Bruford, legend. And Alan White, also legend, played with George Harrison. Oh. And did a session work with pretty much everybody through the 70s and then the vexing part keyboards over the course of 51 years probably 51 tony k rick wakeman pat moraz jeff downs eddie jobson igor koroshev and oliver wakeman rick wakeman's son aha right so they have a song on the yes album called perpetual change Mm -hmm. that's exactly that fits what this band is perpetual change and i am a huge fan uh let me start with the yes album obviously he huge record for them for many different reasons so this is 1971 <laughs> right they've already recorded two records up to now that were loaded with covers and very little original music mm-hmm. they were about to get dropped from their record label they were just kind of not well received kind of garbagey right so they go into the studio. They replace Peter Banks with Steve Howe. Steve Howe is the new guitarist for Yes at this moment. And all of a sudden, there's this magic. This is the classic Yes lineup, right? Mm-hmm. So this is John Anderson on vocals, Chris Squire on bass, Steve Howe on guitar, Tony K on keyboards. A lot of people will say Rick Wakeman, but I prefer Tony K to Rick Wakeman. Totally fine. I'll be honest with you. The only reason I, I know Rick Wakeman is because he's like a huge nerd. So He is a big nerd. Yeah. This is the record that uh, their harmonies are established in a huge way, which is what Yes will become defined by, is their vocal harmonies. Really high, almost falsetto vocal harmonies. Very little bass harmony at all. It's all really in the high register. Chris Squire's bass is just thumping throughout. Steve Howe comes along, super inventive guitarist, playing stuff that nobody had heard before, unique sounds, lots of uh, effects that this is 1971. There's not a lot of that stuff going on. He's bringing this whole different sound to it, right? John Anderson's high-pitched, esoteric, almost spiritual lyrics start to take hold on this record, which will come to define who they are, right? And here's a nice change of pace for you. Rolling Stone magazine loved this record really right mind blown right huge this is the record that that broke yes i've seen all good people yes right fantastic yours is no disgrace starship trooper it's It's, these were the songs that charted the next 10 years for yes this would be the formula they would utilize going forward with their harmonies with this very fluid bass lines and stuff very inventive guitar work oh well i was gonna say i know that uh, starship trooper is like a lot of people consider it one of the best 
like guitar songs ever written. I mean, it's frequently considered, you know, at least top 10 on a lot of people's, you know, the best, best guitar solos of all time, the top 483. <laughs> Cause they pick weird numbers for that kind of stuff. For some reason, Labor Day weekend, Labor Classic Day weekends, week. classic Rewind. rock playing back the top 500 songs of all time. Holy crap. That's a lot. But uh, I know do that? Starship Trooper ends up on those lists yeah. quite frequently. Yeah, the, it's loaded with good songs. Clap is a great song, which is like the first kind of acoustic folk experiment for Steve Howe. Oh, really? So that was the first time they had done a song that sounded like that? Yeah. Hmm. Right. And that's, again, see, because that's what you would define them by. So every, people are like, well, is it a prog band? You know, it's a progressive band or is it a folk band? They, the term that I like to use was classical rock band. Not a classic rock band, but a classical, classical symphonic rock band. All right. Like because of the way they structured songs, because they were movements through their songs. Yeah. Like a classic like a piece of classical music where they were self-referential. They were eight minutes in. They were referencing themes from the beginning of the song like you would in a like in a classical piece of music. And that's to me that much different song and everyone's like well it's the british sound and i'm like mm, mm. Uh, and it's i don't know that you could lump a lot of other bands in with yes yeah they were very unique and this was the record that set the table for the next decade with uh relayer and tormato and going for the one and fragile and all these records that came out time in a word that were these huge pieces of music that had this through line that would reference itself back. Hmm. So band is goes through some minor changes through the seventies, John Anderson, Chris Squire, they're all there. They change keyboards a couple times and then they finish a tour and get to 1980 and they start to talk about making a new record. A couple of guys in the band want to go in a different direction. They're kind of tired of the same similar sounding records they want to do something else the lead singer is like that's what i want to do i like the long pieces i like the esoteric lyrics i like the folk sound keyboardist is with him so john anderson and rick wakeman are like we like the way this is working and the other guys in the band are like it's not real. we want i mean it's 1979 1980 music's changing we need to adapt and change with it so Enter a convenient partnership. The managers of Yes, uh, Atlantic Records, mm-hmm. uh, their their manager, the, the guy that discovered them, Ahmet uh, Erdogan, was the co-founder of Atlantic Records. Okay. So I don't know if you've seen Ray, the Ray Charles movie with Jamie Foxx. Yes. Curtis Armstrong, so Booger from Revenge of the Nerds, plays Ahmet Erdogan. Okay. He's, the, he's his agent, essentially, because he founded atlantic records so this is this this guy is huge he's super well known so he's the founder or he's managing yes and there's another band that you guys probably will be familiar with who he's also managing that released the first video on mtv the buggles video killed the radio star is the first video on mtv i heard them on my wireless back in 52 actually. i bet you did so he's uh so they're that was a horrible joke. I apologize to everyone listening. <laughs> They're managed by the same people. Okay. So Yes is recording, or or back in the studio, just three of them, right? Two of the guys aren't there. They invite Trevor Horn and Jeff Downs, 
who are the Buggles, there's only two of them, to come down and, and like hang out for a while and and just kind of jam. So they're like, yeah, okay, cool. So they start playing a song that they had that was like this really like eight minute long song that they're like, this doesn't really work for the Buggles. We're like like a two or three minute song band. We, but we have this long one, so we'll play it. And they started playing it. And yes, absolutely loved it. And all of a sudden, they're basically getting contracts to join the band. Oh, wow. And they are now in Yes. <laughs> so Trevor Horn, who's seen the video, people have seen the video for Video Killed the Radio Star. He's yeah. got the weird glasses on. He's just become the new lead singer of Yes. Of yes. Huh. Jeff Downs became the new keyboardist for Yes. All of a sudden, it's Yes. So if you start listening to drama, the high harmony is still there. It's still Chris, <laughs> it's still Chris Squire, who was the defining sound in the band with his with this high pitched harmony. You can't avoid it. The songs are a little more direct, a little less prog rocky and symphonic. And if you're a if you're like a Yes fan that doesn't know, if you're listening to it, you'd be it'd be very difficult for you to know that there was a huge change in singers at all because that there's a really similar sounding vocal pattern and it almost kind of gets washed together. S- sounds are similar. Voices are similar. There's just something not quite the same. So the songs are a little more direct. Okay. And if you start to listen to drama, like the second song on the record, uh, man in a white car, it's not a yes song at all. It sounds like the buggles. It very it's much like, does. It's like a minute and a half or two minute long song. It, it does not sound. It's a weird standout on this album too. Like right? listening to this, I, I had never heard drama before. Uh, so I kind of went into it blind. Right. And, Machine Messiah is a great song. Oh, it's a fantastic song. Uh, and it opens like opening. It sounded more like it was going to be like a heavy metal song. And I was like, wow, what the hell is this? Right. But then White Car comes along and it's like, this is such a, this doesn't feel the same as anything that I'd heard from yes before. No. So, but there, you know, I mean, when you replace band members like that constantly, it, it creates that evolving sound. I mean, that sounds stupid when I say it out loud. If you replace a person, it things sounds- are different, <laughs> but that's, that's true. I don't when you, get it. But when you're replacing people with, you know, such high caliber musicians that can come in and say, okay, this is what you're doing right now. This is what we want to add to it. And then they work with one another and they create something completely new and different. It's amazing. Well, that that's one of the things that's always <laughs> been the standout for Yes is that they're consummate, huge musicians. Yes. They're all talented in their own right. It's a like just a magic kind of soup that gets thrown together, right? And you hear all this fantastic noise. And I remember listening to drama somewhere in the 80s and not getting it Mm -hmm. because I had listened to all the old yes stuff before that obviously and it it didn't make sense to me it was almost too far outside the box and like they're they're trying to explore new musical directions clearly like they want to branch out they want to try something new they have these two young pups basically who are riding pretty high yeah and they just scoop them up and they record this record pretty much in no time and then yank them out on a tour. <laughs> By the way, you're being asked to play and sing all these yes songs over the past 10 years. Yeah. That are defining just like Arnold Panetta from Journey basically being asked to do the same thing, although he volunteered to do that 
Trevor Horn was like, I don't know if I want to do this and was ready to turn the whole thing down until he realized when's the next time I'm going to be asked to sing in yes. Yeah. So how do you pass that up? Right. You don't. So listening to it as a kid and even now when I listen to it again, like there was something just not quite right. Like they weren't ready for that change until enter a shaggy haired South African fella (laughs) named Trevor Rabin who all of a sudden kind of landed in their lap. So Trevor Rabin, been a musician forever by now. He wants to write in L.A. He wants to write songs. They don't. He wants to record some solo stuff. They People don't like it. He ends up getting connected uh, through the same guy, through their manager, Amit Erdogan, to uh, kind of jam with these guys. So he starts talking to Chris Squire and all the all the guys in Yes that aren't John Anderson because he's always the outlier. Mm-hmm. And they're like, wow, this is really cool. This is really cool. Let's make a record. So they became banned, but not Yes. Now they're a band called Cinema. Oh. So it's all the guys in Yes. So it's Chris Squire and Tony Kay and Alan White and uh, Steve Howe, Trevor Rabin, forming this new band called Cinema. Right. So they got together and they're writing and they're playing along and there's something missing. Ahmed Erdogan says to Chris Squire, they're like, we have to have you need to have a hit. We have no hit singles. We need a hit. You need to have one. And he's like, I agree. We need to have one. So he ends up writing that Trevor Raven ends up pulling all these ideas out and landing on Owner of a Lonely Heart is the first thing that they kind of settle on. Okay. And they realize how good John Anderson's voice would blend with the band. So they ask him to come in <laughs> and sing. And Ahmed Erdogan says, oh, that sounds like Yes is back together. So all of a sudden, this <laughs> record that they had recorded as a band called Cinema just became the next Yes, yes record, album. which would happen again <laughs> two more times down the road. <laughs> because, of course, it would. Why right. not? Because you're like you're you're capitalizing <laughs> on what you have. Right. So they have this 90210125. It's hard to say 90210, isn't it? Right? Is it it's their first and only number one album. No, number one song on Owner of a Lonely Heart. First and only number one song. If someone was like, what did the 1980s sound like? That's it. I would play Owner of a Lonely Heart. Right? Because it it is the song that like just the the weird like stings in it and the like all of that to me is like the the perfect embodiment of 1980s music as a whole right and it came in 1981 came early it was 81 or 83 83 i'm sorry but it came so early in the 80s and it defined i I, it always makes me wonder were they ahead of the curve and it defined the rest of the 80s or were they kind of perceiving what was going to happen and then just recording it earlier than everybody else. I think it's, I think it's the former, not the latter. You think latter. it influenced all those people that came yeah. after it. Cause these are almost all that, that record was almost all Trevor Rabin. Okay. Those were all his song ideas that he brought to the table. Uh, obviously their ideas were added in, yeah. but, but his song ideas are all over this thing. It could have easily been a solo record by him. Easily. It's so much more pop based than anything else they did. There's a ton of other big changes. Like this is the first record going back 
12 years that wasn't the album cover wasn't designed by Roger Dean. Okay. So Roger Dean was like the godfather of album paintings. He uh, did landscapes. He even sued James Cameron because the floating islands in Avatar were re- so closely related to what he had done on all these album covers because he had all these floating like islands in the sky mm-hmm. type thing. So he's it's like, that's exactly what I paint. Like, where are you getting this from? So he sued him. <laughs> he lost. But oh, still. that's unfortunate. Right. So Trevor Horn, who was the lead singer for drama, was brought back to be the producer for 90125 hmm. because that's much more uh, a role that fit him as opposed to like a front man. <laughs> so the family and how this weaves together and always has, yes, has always been this fluid band that you can never really keep track of like uh, an album that came out in 1990 i think it was 91 they had a record called union and it was essentially uh john anderson bill bruford uh rick wakeman and steve howe recorded their own stuff for a band called anderson bruford wakeman howe and it's really original (laughs) right and yes was out recording with trevor raven and chris Chris Squire, they were recording all these new songs. And they're like, well, they're so much related to one another. Let's take all of the songs, put them on one record, and just call it, yes, Union. And we'll just <laughs> merge them together. So that's that record has like 17 songs on it. And it's a such a weird, disparate, because it, you have like these four-minute pop songs and then a nine-minute weaving kind of weirdo <laughs> trippy thing and then you got a two minute acoustic song acoustic guitar song and it's like all over the place but i mean that's they are they're a band that's done really well at capitalizing on the name on who they are to like keep pushing product basically okay like this is yes well is it well, the version of yes we say that it is so, so it is here it is right and when i saw them and Saw them. I saw them in the '80s. I saw them in the early '90s, and there's such a different experience every time because they have 20 albums, 22 albums, I think, something like that. Huge catalog. You can pull from anywhere, and you never know exactly what you're going to get. But it's it's always kind of a, a journey because there's so many moving parts. There's so many different elements to that band so many creative elements to that band there was always one like anchor and that was chris squire on bass who was there through everything Mm -hmm. and kind of ran the band and he he was a genius at pretty much everything that he did to run the band he was he was like the eddie van halen but he had he had a clear vision okay for what he wanted the band to be so they were inducted into the hall of fame Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, fuck Rolling Stone, but they were <laughs> they were inducted into the Hall of Fame in uh, I want to say 2015 or 16. And Getty Lee, bass player for Rush, introduced them, uh, inducted them essentially into the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and also filled in on bass. Oh, that's cool. And for him, because he had he uh, there's a um, an article about him talking about his best, like his favorite five records of all time. Number one record on his list is the Yes album because his hero as a 19-year-old kid was Chris Squire. So here he is, as at this point a 62-year-old man, 
playing his idol stuff to induct him into the Hall of Fame. Wow. And he was he's like, I performed in front of 250,000 people in Brazil. I've never been more more, more nervous than that moment right there. <laughs> like, don't F up your idol's song. Because <laughs> they played roundabout. And it's like, yeah. it's like I and they play yours is no yours is no disgrace. And he's like, I have to I have to nail these parts. And he, you know, he would get ready for tours, but he, he said he practiced for months for these two songs because he didn't want to embarrass their legacy. Yeah. So well, I mean, that's that's nuts because the the entire weight of their entire musical history is on your shoulders mm-hmm. while you're playing that. Like, that's no big deal, right? Right. Yeah. You know, you screw this up and everybody's just going to be like, yes, not very good anymore because you <laughs> fucked up their song. You screwed everything up, you jackass. So, yeah. So that's the uh, the long and short of yeah. I could go on for hours. Unfortunately, I that's but, why I took very few notes on. Yes, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to go on <laughs> for hours because I want other people to feedback. I want other people to be able to have a chance to listen to these records and and soak it in and tell us what you think about them please tell us what you think chris i know you're out there i know you're listening i know you're going to tell me what you think about it i know you're going to tell me where i screwed up and there's probably a good couple places and that's okay i encourage that feedback i guess uh should we wrap this up with what 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 conclusion can we draw from all three of these situations van halen journey yes Hmm. conclusions huh conclusions because i'll tell you what my conclusion is please Tell me. I don't think it fucking matters who's playing the music as long as you enjoy it. Right. And that's I was just about to write down. I was in I was in the middle of writing that down. Music is subjective. Yeah. And it's, it's and it's what you attach to it, what what import you give to it, yeah. how you how it makes you feel. And if you want to listen to, you know, 12 hours of country and western then, the two types of music, right? Then you should, and and you know, I know that I know I've said in the past that a lot of new music is crap, and I'm going to hold to that. A lot of new music is crap. However, if you enjoy listening to it, then good for you. I just don't think it's very good, but you <laughs> can think it's very good, and that's fine. And um, one of the things I know I, I had a long discussion with my wife the other night about um, how. I think other people should listen to music and that I uh, impart or want to force how I perceive something on to someone else. And she pointed out how that's really incorrect that people listen to music for their own reasons. And you can't say they listen to it like this because you do. They're going to have their own reasons to listen to music. And if they interpret something differently, then that's okay. And that that's important that I realize and recognize that there's many different ways to interpret the things that we listen to. And this is just one guy's, two guys' opinions about stuff. But really, uh, my whole goal is to get the conversation started. Yeah. Is for people to talk about music because it's a very important part of all of our lives. And, it and you know, people listen to stuff all the time, while they're running, while they're working, while they're driving, while they're doing whatever. So... Have the conversation and share music as much as possible. Like it's different. There's no Napster anymore, so you can't get in trouble. (laughs) You can just send a link about Spotify and go, hey, listen to this. This is really cool. And open the dialogue up and listen to new things. 
things that might be outside of your comfort zone. New to you, especially. Yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be exactly new, new to you time wise. It needs to be new to you. I mean, you know, we're covering some of the most classic albums. I mean, you know, a few episodes ago we did Houses of the Holy. That's one of the most classic albums. If you're somebody who likes classic rock, you've heard that album before. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole bunch of people out there, hopefully listening to this, who haven't. You know, or who have heard one song from it or something. Go back and listen to the album. See how it all fits together. See, you know, be like, oh, okay, I have never heard this from beginning to end before. Take 45 minutes of your life and listen to it and see what you think about it. And maybe you hate it. Maybe you love it. Who cares? Listen to it so you know and you can share it with other people. Yeah. Art for art's sake, you know? Like he was just saying, we covered some popular records today. Maybe not so popular in your frame of mind. But Van Halen 3. Garbage. <laughs> but I know. A, do you need a trash can? Booger threw up. But then I know the next one we're going to talk about, which is Kyle's Choice, mm-hmm. is not a popular record. No. So <laughs> there you go. We're going to talk about something that isn't so popular. And it'll probably be new to you. And it's even new to me. So I'm looking forward to uh, some some research about it. You want to talk about what yeah. it is? Uh, the uh, the band is uh, called Dirty Projectors. They kind of have a um, a, a little bit of a rotating uh, roster of people as well. We're going to do their newest album. It's called uh, Lamplit Pros. Came out in 2008 or 2018, excuse me. So it's you know a year ish old now. And uh, no, to anybody listening who knows what I do in real life, uh, my job is working with projectors. I was not searching for the term, how do you clean dirty projectors when I found this band? Bullshit. Uh, I was, uh, it just so happens that I heard uh, one of the songs on the radio and I was like, wow, they're kind of interesting. Let's see what they're doing. Alexa, how do you fix dirty projectors? (laughs) Alexa. It just starts playing. This video projector doesn't work very well. How do I clean it? All of a sudden. Uh, Oh, wow. Hey, I like this. What is this? That's exactly all right. Who am I kidding? That's exactly what I'm. I know. How do you clean dirty projectors? Dirty projectors, dirty projectors is a band. Well, well, well. Well, now I must listen. <laughs> but I'm excited because I've never heard of them. So uh, that's kind of nice... that's one of the reasons I picked them. Actually, I know. that'll be a nice education for me, and hopefully uh, everybody else that will listen. Yeah, I hope you all hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I will. It's been a it's been a lifetime of me. Uh, Picking music that all the people around me hate. So uh, hopefully that trend will continue. Right. Staying true to form. Staying true to form. Uh, So anyways, uh, please do contact us. Info at audiojudo.com. If you want to tell us how much we suck or how great uh, some of these albums touched your life. Touched you inappropriately, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to tell us. Steve Perry touched you inappropriately. (laughs) Steve Perry touched you inappropriately. (laughs) I knew it. If you want to tell us how these albums touched your lives, uh, get in touch with us uh, at uh, at Audio Judo on uh, Twitter, Facebook.com forward slash Audio Judo. And until the next episode, uh, keep listening out there. All right. Have a good week, everybody. Talk to you soon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 